ओम ज्ञान निरंधस्यानंजनशलाकाय From the historical point of view, it could be said that Srila Prabhupada was ahead of his time. Being ahead of one's time means that um, one has some realization or understanding that others are yet to attain. One's uh, foresight and intellectual capabilities are such that he's realized something that others still don't realize, which is later to be accepted in human society. But when it is propagated ahead of its time, is met with derision. Most of the great scientists were considered at the time, ahead of their time. Or, or, or rather, in hindsight, it can be seen that they were ahead of their time. For instance, when Einstein introduced his uh, first theory of relativity, the, then uh, it was met with disbelief and derision because it appeared to go against the whole body of knowledge of science at the time. But it didn't take long before physicists understood that actually this solves many of the problems which uh, uh, we're finding in our present system of understanding. And Einstein became lauded as a genius. There was a British scientist and technologist by the name of Cavendish, who, uh, being born in a rich family, spent most of his life inventing things. But he never told anyone what he invented. So many of the things which were later invented and credited to others were actually uh, invented by him earlier. We see that uh, Michelangelo was a, uh, what do you call that, a, a flexible or a wide-ranging genius, versatile. He, uh, apart from his uh, famous works of art, he, among other things, he uh, sketched designs for a helicopter. This uh, Arthur C. Clarke is a contemporary British scientist, well, actually more like a science fiction writer, who has predicted uh, so many things which we've seen come true in our lifetime. When I was a child, a computer meant some huge thing which took up a whole room. One needed to be highly trained to operate it. And it gave a ticker tape output which had to be deciphered. And although it was considered highly advanced, it's, uh, it wouldn't rate at all today as a computer. It would be more like a, you know, something like a, an exhibit for the museum. So at that time, no one could imagine that there would be, except for forward-looking people like Arthur C. Clarke, they couldn't imagine that within one generation there would be a computer in every home, more or less. So Prabhupada was ahead of his time. I remember uh, in London when I joined, one devotee told me uh, how he became convinced by hearing Srila Prabhupada, that he heard a lecture of Prabhupada in which Prabhupada was saying, the United Nations, it's all rascals, just backing dogs. Giving the example that if uh, the United Nations is formed to have peace among men, 
But Prabhupada gave the example, if you put a bunch of dogs in a room, can you expect any peace among them? They'll simply bark. So the, you put a bunch of people in a room who are in dog-like consciousness, despite having the title Diplomat to the United Nations. And you can't, how can you expect peace to be generated by such persons? Prabhupada also said that the uh, United Nations was formed by the United States to cheat the small countries. And we factually see that recently when the uh, United States, they couldn't get the uh, vote of the United Nations to attack Iraq. They just did it anyway. So Prabhupada saw through all this hypocrisy. It's interesting that uh, America, when they realized they, 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 weren't, they were losing in the Vietnam War, they negotiated a peace. That was the, that was the one before. And uh, the Secretary of State for the United States, Henry Kissinger, who had been organizing the war, he negotiated the peace. Negotiate the peace means actually they, they, America withdrew, they were defeated, although they don't like to say that. And then there's Henry Kissinger, who had uh, been organizing the bombing of Cambodia, which was completely defenseless and so many things, he was awarded the Nobel Prize for Peace. So this is the absurdity of, of international politics and diplomacy. Of course, the, uh, the Nobel Prize for Peace, which is highly, uh, highly esteemed in modern civilization, well, Mr. Nobel himself had so, got so much money for giving these prizes because he invented dynamite. So anyway, this devotee told me that when he heard Prabhupada speaking like this about the United Nations, he it changed his whole way of looking at the world. Because up to that time, everyone thought, oh, United Nations, very good. They're very good, sincere people who come together to discuss how we can live in peace. And Prabhupada said, barking dogs. They can never have peace in human society as long as they're in dog consciousness. So nowadays, many people have similar a similar outlook about the United Nations. But Prabhupada, he saw through it before all of them. Prabhupada spoke out very strongly against the cheating of modern science, which up to that time, uh, science was considered like a... As, well, a religion, actually. It's like sacred. You can't say anything against the scientists. It's, that's heretical, iconoclastic. You know what that means? You don't have a word like that in Polish? It means someone who, who breaks deities. So, uh, it was shocking. But it wasn't, that, it wasn't that Prabhupada was just out to shock for the sake of it. But he was pointing out how... Actually, the scientists are cheating. And nowadays, that's, uh, widely, that's uh, a widely held perception. In Poland also? In India, not so much. People, they still... Indians have a strong tendency to worship. They worship Krishna, Rama, Durga, Shiva, Sai Baba. You put some stone and tell someone it's sacred and they'll start worshipping it. So they worship science. Science. The scientists said, ah. I often say in India that uh, previously in India, if you said, if you quote Bhagavad Gita, Shri Bhagavan Uvacha, everyone will accept it. Nowadays, if you say, 
Sri Scientist Uvacha, everyone will accept it. I, I just got a ridiculous letter from some young Indian student who started reading Prabhupada's books in a mood of great awe and reverence, but who has become shocked by seeing Prabhupada's condemnation of the cheating scientists. And he doesn't know how to balance this because he has his religious way of thinking and his scientific way of thinking. How can Prabhupada, who we respect so much, speak so strongly against the scientists, who we respect so much? How can Prabhupada speak against evolutionary theory when the scientists have proved that we all descended from monkeys? Like a typical, like a typical foolish person, he thinks that the scientists have proved it. Maybe the scientists themselves even think they've proved it. Although there's not even this... There's absolutely nothing, nothing, zero, zilch, shunya, zifa, whatever, how do you say it in Polish? <laughs> zero. Zero, zero. Yeah. Not even one grain of sand of proof of evolution. So, it's in that way, it's like a, a religious dogmatic belief. But they say it's scientific, and in, in, in that it's like empirically proved. The only thing that's missing in the empirical proof of the theory of evolution is any evidence. But people take it as a, like a religion. Oh, scientists. Last time I was speaking with Sadaputa Prabhu, who I presume you've all heard his name, which was quite a few years ago. He was in India at that time, and he'd been traveling around giving a few lectures in different universities. And he said that uh, his observations were that that Hindus have added to their you know, vast pantheon of devatas, science. It's, it's, another, it's become another cult within Hinduism. It's simply blind faith. And he, another thing he said was that within the Hindus' consciousness, they have one compartment called religion and another compartment called science. And they... they turn on the one side of their consciousness according to the situation they're in. They don't try to run both programs at once. There'd be a system crash. It's, it's, not, it's, it's not just a different program. It's like, you know, one's Mac and one's, one's Windows. Yeah. It's like... <laughs> so, no, when they go to the temple, they're fully religious. And then they, when they go outside, they turn off the religion and then they become... And then, when they, then they have the scientific way of thinking. So you can find uh, like big scientists working on sending rockets into space so that India can say, we also send rockets into space. Mm-hmm. And they also go to the temple. Of course, if you talk with them, they probably won't believe in God, but they go to the temple anyway. So they expect the sadhu is very nice. He smiles, he speaks a few words from the Bhagavad Gita and gives blessings. That's what a sadhu does. And a scientist is very practical. So more or less we believe in science, but when things get too much, then you can go to the sadhu for some blessings. So it's blind faith on both sides. But Prabhupada, he presented Bhagavad Tattva Vigyanam, the scientific knowledge of the... Uh, truth of Godhead. Prabhupada, he didn't, inc- he didn't uh, encourage just a totally 
sentimental approach to religion. But he was always speaking philosophy so that people could understand what is Bhagavat Tattva Vigyanam. So Prabhupada was ahead of his time in pointing out the defects of science. And when Prabhupada arrived in America, the uh, hippie movement was <coughs> prominent, which rejected the values of modern civilization, and so did Srila Prabhupada. Although it's seen that, to a large extent, the hippies of that era have again become merged into mainstream Americans or Western society. <laughs> it's like this so-called Woodstock Festival they'll be having in Poland in a few days. No? And you'll see all uh, imitation hippies. Coming from our generation, we can say like that. We were the real hippies. <laughs> so all with long hair and you know, being different to the normal people. But in a few years' time, you'll find they're all chartered accountants, factory managers, and salesmen, and they'll just be, they'll merge into the regular Kami society. Unless they take to Krishna consciousness. As Jai Vedaswami said, the real hippies became devotees, the ones who are really serious. <laughs> because the hippies were looking for an alternative to the crassly materialistic society they'd been brought up in. And they believed in love and peace and mysticism, especially Eastern mysticism. And they liked Krishna because he had long hair. And uh, he, he was into music. Krishna's into music. And the Hare Krishna people are into music also. And uh, Krishna has a girlfriend. So all attractive elements to the hippies. <laughs> and even more, even more bizarre than the hippies. <laughs> no one thought of shaving their head. I mean, they grow your long hair, but shaving your head. And, and not only shave your head, but you keep a little thing sticking out the back. <laughs> and run around on the city streets in uh, bed sheets dyed orange. That's what the dotis were in those days. And uh, playing some Indian bells. That's really far out. So, of course, Prabhupada didn't introduce these things just to try to outdo the hippies. <laughs> He was introducing the genuine culture of the spiritual world. But, as luck would have it, the, this, uh, all these elements were appealing to the hippies. Prabhupada said that the Krishna arranged the hippie movement for my preaching. So the hippies, they were into alternative living. Some of them even had, like, communes. Several of Prabhupada's first leading disciples came from a nudist commune, which Prabhupada, out of his intense compassion visited. And one of the persons there, he saw him and Prabhupada asked him, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm doing a little gardening. Prabhupada said, what are you doing with your life? He never really thought about that before. Because the hippie idea was, be here now. Live for the moment. So, um, the hippies, they wanted an alternative. But, for all their dropping out. What is it? Turn on, tune in and drop out. That's the that was their motto. Turn how do you you can't translate it, can you? Turn on, tune in, drop out. Anyway. For all their turning in what is it? Turning on, tuning in and dropping out, they remained addicted to sense gratification. 
that uh, they dropped out of straight society, as they called it, mainstream society. But they, they were addicted to sex and intoxication. <clears throat> That's why they had to go back and become accountants and lawyers and salesmen and, and taxi drivers and whatever. Because they needed money to, so that they could go on with their sense gratificatory life. <clears throat> mm. So the Prabhupada's condemnation of the materialistic society appealed to the hippies. But Prabhupada, <laughs> Prabhupada uh, was ahead of his time in this regard also. But the, the point which the hippies, or practically no one has appreciated up to this moment, is that materialistic civilization is to be condemned for its basis of sense gratification. The hippies wanted a more peaceful, gentle, loving way of life, so that they could, in a more peaceful, gentle, loving way, pursue sense gratification. But Prabhupada pointed out that sense gratification is the disease, that hippies who want to live in communes or in some peaceful farm, they're also doing so for sense gratification. As Prabhupada points out in a shocking purport in near the beginning of Bhagavatam, which Prabhupada actually wrote in the first canto he wrote before he came to the West. Kamasya nindriya pritiya, the verses that uh, that one's desires should not be directed towards sense gratification. And Prabhupada pointed out that in in every sphere of human civilization, especially especially in the modern age, everything is just saturated with the desire for sense gratification. The politicians solicit votes. Um, with the promise to give greater sense gratification than their political opponents. In every sphere of human society, in family life, in education, in science, in politics, in entertainment, everything is just focused on sense gratification. And even in the field of religion, it's simply based on sense gratification. People go to the church to pray, Dear God, Give me more sense gratification. Remove my obstacles to sense gratification. Let me enjoy. And such people are considered pious people. So, Prabhupada was ahead in his thinking of even the hippies who saw that the modern civilization is sick, which is uh, more or less accepted by the... It, it's... That modern society is sick is more or less accepted by mainstream thinkers. Up until the time of the hippies, they thought, well, we're making progress, everything is wonderful, everything's getting better day by day. But the hippies expressed their discontent with this imagined paradise, the American dream. They expressed their discontent by dropping out. And later when they dropped back in again, maybe of their, many of them became university professors, journalists, social analysts and so on. So they're very busy analyzing all the wrongs of modern society. But they, uh, they think that by making some social adjustments they can improve the situation. And they have tremendous faith in 
psychology, modern psychology, that everyone in the modern age is screwed up. But don't worry, all you have to go do is go to the psychologist and he'll sort you out. For only $200 a session, you can also become a normal, balanced person and enjoy life. We just have to make a few adjustments here and there and everything will be wonderful. They discovered, for instance, that the whole of human civilization to date had been wrong in as much as it had been exploiting women. So now we have to give equal rights to women. Women should also go to Iraq and fight. They should have the right. They should also be coal miners. Why should they be deprived the right of having Iraqi shoot bullets at them? Why only the men? So now we have uh, equal rights for women, which is uh, righting the wrongs of the whole of the human race to date. Because we know best. We have studied psychology. And we are liberal and humanistic and fair. So why should the men only have the opportunity to go to Iraq and torture Iraqi prisoners? The women should also do it. Equal rights. Out of our great compassion, we have gone to Iraq and freed the people from being tortured by Saddam Hussein. We shall do it instead. They will have the privilege of being tortured by Americans. <laughs> and American women at that. Of course, one thing they didn't think about yet is uh, the rights of American children to have mothers. But what do they need mothers for when they have TVs and microwave ovens? And they're having sex at the age of eight or nine, so they know how to entertain themselves. What do they need a mother for? So, this is advancement of human civilization. And what do you know, folks? You can get, you can, a man can now marry his boyfriend in the church. And if he gets fed up of that, he can have a sex change operation, become a woman and marry another woman in the church. <laughs> and if he becomes very religious, then after having a sex change operation and marrying another woman, he can become the head of the church. Because we know best. We are offering everyone the opportunity for sense gratification in full. And don't worry, when you get old, you can have a facelift operation so you look young. And we'll give you hormone injections so you can enjoy sex at the age of 65. Ah! <laughs> Life is wonderful. <laughs> but no one is happy. And they wonder, what, what went wrong with society? My nice young kid, 12 years old, went to school this morning and shot 15 people dead. <laughs> what went wrong? I was always... I was always nice to him. You know, I made sure that all my different boyfriends gave him presents. And uh, I protected him from his father, who was only allowed to vis visit him twice a year. You know, I, I taught him everything, all the important things of life, how to, how to have sex and homosex by the age of seven. By the age of seven? Yeah, okay. So, what went wrong? I think we have to do some more uh, psychiatric research here. Maybe we have to adjust the genes in people a little bit. Then everything will be all right. I mean, everything's basically all right, but, you know, there's just a few things long, wrong, like, you know, children killing each other and things like that. But otherwise, things are more or less okay. And, you know, there are a few problems here and there, but more or less we're making progress. You know, the real problem is the Muslims. <laughs> so, let's go and kill them all. And then that will solve all our problems. So, Prabhupada pointed out, what is the real problem? People are insane. 
Now that's a really big problem. If everyone in society is insane, then you can expect it's going to be a pretty crazy society. And that's actually the situation. Because everyone is mad after sense gratification. Nunang pramatah kurutevi karma yadindriya pritiya apinotina sadhumanya yata apinayama sannapi kleshata asadeha. They're all crazy because everyone is simply interested in sense gratification. And therefore they have no fear of performing sinful activities which will cause them to suffer birth after birth after birth. Instead of using the human form of life for liberation from the cycle of birth and death and developing love of Krishna, people are using it to... They, they, they actually think that advancement of human civilization means to become to increase our animalistic propensities. If one can increase one's ability to have sex... Yes, that is considered uh, that's something really good. Some of, some of the world's most intelligent scientists have spent many years of research to find out drugs that can increase one's sexual abilities, and they did it. While other scientists are busy uh, making research on how to kill others in more effective ways. Bombs, tanks, chemical weapons and so on. So it is animal civilization. Sometimes people think this is insulting, but actually it's very polite, because people are lower than animals. To call them an animal is a compliment. As Prabhupada pointed out, the, the animals, they only have sex at a certain time of year, but the human being is anxious all through the year. And only the lowest animals kill their own children, but it's a normal practice in modern society. Honey, I got some news. I forgot to take the pill and now <coughs> I'm pregnant. Oh, so, you know, we were planning to go on a holiday. So, but now we have to, now instead we'll have to save up money to pay for the, all the needs of the child. So what shall we do? We don't really want the child, do we? So it would be more humane to kill the child in the womb. Because if we don't want the child, then it won't feel properly looked after. So it's better for the child if we just kill it in advance. Because after all, we were really looking forward to that holiday we we're going to have together. It'd be good to have one really good holiday together before we divorce. <laughs> At least we could say we tried. So in this way, they very humanely justify their horribly sinful activities. The woman has a right over her body. So, if she wants, she can abort the child. I wonder if it's legal for a woman to cut her leg off and go to the hospital and say, I want my leg cut off. Well, why? What's wrong with it? Why are you asking that question? It's my body. It's my right to do what I like. They say the, the embryo in the womb, it's my body. But they don't think that they're under the they're under the control of higher laws by which they have to suffer for sinful activities. One who causes abortion, they also become subject to such a situation. People have no knowledge of this. They think, well, abortion is something that's it's good, it helps to control the population. A few years ago, one devotee... Uh, introduced me, he said, this is Dr. So-and-so, he's from a Vaishnava family. 
in India. Pure vegetarian. So he said he's a doctor. I asked, what kind of doctor? So he said, I'm a gynecologist. So he said, that means you do abortions, right? I said, yes, of course. He said, don't you realize this is extremely sinful? This is absolutely against Vaishnava principles or even human principles. So he felt a little uncomfortable. Probably never thought of that before. Because he has his religious way of thinking and his scientific way of thinking. People are not thinking. The, the relationship between the scientific way of thinking and the religious way of thinking is the desire for sense gratification. From science we get sense gratification in one way, from religion in another way. No. Prabhupada gave, came to give that clear knowledge by which we can see through all the hypocrisy and understand what is reality. Reality is Krishna. Everything, everything in this world is cheating. So devotees should read Prabhupada's books. That sounds axiomatic. But actually we find that many people come to this Krishna consciousness but they don't read Prabhupada's books. <laughs> they take to Krishna consciousness in a kind of sentimental way. Because Krishna consciousness is nice if one is... Um, but without understanding it properly, then we're liable to be misguided and to uh, adopt sense gratification as our main goal of life with Krishna consciousness somewhere there as a hobby or something like that. The real goal of life is to live happily in this material world. And Krishna consciousness is our religion. We go to the church once a week. I mean, we go to the temple once a week. And we mix with all our friends who are also devotees who, never, who like us, never read Prabhupada's books. And we just love Krishna sometimes, although we don't read all these heavy purports about giving up sense gratification. Because, after all, uh, our very scholarly devotees at the university have ascertained that Prabhupada was mistaken. Hare Krishna! Which means that I can accept the parts of Prabhupada's books that I don't read, I can accept those parts that I want to, and reject those parts I don't want to. So I like the part where it says that Krishna is very kind and beautiful, and he plays his flute and he dances with the gopis. But all this stuff about giving up sense gratification, and it's a little extreme. So we like to read the 10th canto of Bhagavatam, if at all we read anything. We, we prefer to hear someone tell stories about it. But all this stuff about the creation of the material world, well, that's, that, that's on a lower level. We're above that level. Of course, Shukadeva Goswami has given this knowledge. But we're, we're interested in the real nectar. We like to hear all the very high leelas. And because we are broad-minded and we know how to fit in human society, then we also uh, watch TV and engage in sports and all these different things. Because it's, it's kind of preaching, you see. Because that way the people will accept us more. I'm sure they'll accept you if you become one of them. <laughs> so in this way, uh, we bring cheating religion, we bring the cheating propensity, Whereas the Srimad Bhagavatam begins with Dharma Projita Kaitava Atra, kicking out all cheating religion. So, Prabhupada's message is very clear, very straightforward, very frank. No beating about the bush. Do you know that saying? Means, well, you know, maybe this and it could be like that, or I think, or in someone's opinion. Or, None of this. Shri Bhagavan Uvacha. This is the fact. Sometimes uh, some of our supposed to be devotees, they write that in this style, that uh, according to the Gauriya Vaishnavas, Krishna is accepted as the, as the Supreme Lord. 
In other words, this is just the Gauri Vaishnav opinion, and it's just one opinion, and any other opinion is as good as any other opinion. The Gauri Vaishnavs are just another sect of opinionated people without any actual knowledge, and according to them, it's their sectarian belief that Krishna is God. Our Acharyas have not spoken like that. Prabhupada has not spoken like that. He says, Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Let anyone come to me and challenge. I will prove to them. You say, well, if you speak like that, no one will accept it. No one will read your books. No one will take to it. But Prabhupada's books were distributed very widely and so many scholars gave reviews. Yes, these are excellent books. You can recognize this is the real thing. Don't be afraid to present Krishna as he is. If we try to hide Krishna, then we won't, then we won't even find Krishna ourselves. We have to have faith in Krishna. Sarva me ye Arjun said to Krishna, Everything you say, O Krishna, I accept as a fact. It's not an easy path. It's very easy to say, Yes, yes, all opinions are the same. Everything is as good as everything else. But we won't get Krishna like that. Because Krishna is Param Brahma, Param Dhamma. He is above everyone and everything else. It's not simply a matter of opinion. It is a fact. If we want to make it a matter of opinion, then we'll have to remain rotating in this material world. Sure. If we accept Krishna as he is, then we go to Krishna. There's no other way to go to Krishna. If we think that Krishna is some object of our study in the university, then we become offenders to Krishna. Some university scholars study butterflies. Some study ancient Polish history. Some study linguistics and come up with tremendous discoveries like the prototype non-existent Indo-European language. Some try to solve complex mathematical theorems. And some study Krishna, a mythical Hindu god who the Gauri, who was originally a tribal god who became identified with the Vedic god Vishnu. And the medieval saint Chaitanya who suffered from epileptic fits um, he, he had a fixation on this imaginary god called Krishna. And the modern Hare Krishna movement is an offshoot of the Gauriya Vaishnava religion, which comes from the uh, medieval Bengali saint Chaitanya. Oh, so much garbage, because they are so envious of Krishna. They want to put Krishna in some, some, of, some little box where they can... But yes, already researched, everything found out, everything discovered. This is Professor so-and-so, expert in, knows everything about Krishna. Such a person is uh, very much fit for having a large boot put into his face with great velocity. Simply rascals. So offensive to Krishna. So we should take knowledge from the actual professors of spiritual science, Prabhupada, all the great Acharyas, who don't bring their who don't bring any mundane, materially contaminated speculations to try to understand Krishna, but simply accept Krishna as the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Or sometimes the scholars they're a, they're what are called favorable scholars. And they say, Yes, Jiva Goswami was a great scholar. They're also rascals. Because if you think that Jiva Goswami is just a great scholar, in the history of the world there have been so many great scholars, and Jiva Goswami is also a great scholar. If you think like that, that's also Guru Shu Naramatihi, thinking him an ordinary person. Unless we accept him as he is, as a uh, 
transcendental devotee come from the spiritual world, come to reveal the very highest level of God-realization, then simply to consider him a great scholar is, uh, and is demeaning, actually. Jiva Goswami is a great scholar. I'm also a pretty good scholar. No, pre- no. And they appreciate his poetry. They, they analyze it in a, as like some kind of mundane poetry. This alliteration and this alankar and this ornamentation, alliteration. And they can never, never find Krishna. They study Krishna all their life and they'll never ever find him. They'll remain millions of miles away from him. So better accept the Acharyas, follow the Acharyas. That doesn't mean one isn't scholarly, but one's overwhelming motive must be to serve and surrender to Krishna, accepting him as the Supreme Personality of Godhead. If one has any personal motive, for instance, to become known as a great scholar, then he cannot become Krishna conscious. Hare Krishna. All glories to His Divine Grace, Srila Prabhupada. Where are those books? Any questions? Could you say something about studying for young people in universities? Studying for young people in the university. In connection to Krishna Conscious. Well, what is the connection? I mean, I could also talk about working in the coal mines in connection with Krishna consciousness. What's the connection? <laughs> if you're working in the coal mine, as you're digging out the coal, probably it's all by machine these days. They don't do it like this anymore, do they? So you can also chant Hare Krishna while you're working in the coal mine. The other coal miners will probably beat you up. And it's like that in the university too. One uh, devotee told me when Tamal Krishnamaraj first went to university, he wrote some paper, his first paper that he wrote, and the professor told him, you can't like write like this in your Hare Krishna style. You have to change it to the university style. So it's very dangerous. They, 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 they. You can study Krishna, but on our terms and conditions. But if we go out in the streets and chant Hare Krishna and hold festivals, they'll study us. If we increase this movement more and more, then automatically the scholars will come and study. What is it? Because they want to study everything, right? We don't need them. They need us, actually. Um. They need something to study. If you know, someone, you know, they have a family, they, they can study something, computer science at the university so they can get a job and this and that. And it is also possible to go in the university and study Indology and something with the aim of trying to shift the paradigm. But it's a really difficult paradigm to shift. I mean, they might say, yes, yes, we accept Krishna consciousness as another religion. But their basic outlook is empiric. And even if they say we accept it as a bona fide religion, that means that according to their empiric understanding, they accept it as what they call bona fide. Their very methodology, their very basis, their very worldview is empiric and therefore inherently atheistic, actually. And although they they may discuss transcendentalism and mysticism, they also try to analyze that in an empiric way. So it's a very... It's a very, very tough job to shift them. It's like the, the frog in the well. He can never be convinced of anything beyond it. So there may be some scope for devotees to go in the universities and try to influence the academic scene, although the first thing you have to do to join that academic scene is to become influenced by it. Otherwise, they won't let you in. They set the rules.
they won't allow you in the uh, uh, to join the faculty if you say Krishna is the supreme personality of Godhead, and I'm going to show how that's a fact. You can say I'm going to present a paper on on the Gorya Vaishnav uh, reasoning by which they consider Krishna to be the what they call the supreme personality of Godhead. So I'm going to present a paper. Means you know I don't really believe it myself. I'm just it's just a paper on how the Gorya Vaishnavas present their reasoning. In other words, not how the Gorya Vaishnavas prove anything, but how they present their opinion about how the concept or so-called God called Krishna is what they, according to their concept, call the Supreme Personality of Godhead. <laughs> so it's like it, it, nothing is accepted as a fact. Everything is accepted only as a hypothesis. Everything is subject to doubt. But the very beginning of bhakti is faith. Whereas the academic method is based on always questioning, never accepting, with the uh, preconceived notion that no one can have full or perfect knowledge. And that whatever we're studying, we're, well, we've found out this much so far, and it looks like this, but we might find some more information later which, which modifies that. And whatever you... whatever We're talking about anything transcendent, that it can only be a belief, it can't be a fact because we can't empirically verify it. So their study of religion is more uh, like anthropological rather than, than in search of the absolute truth. That's why it's, it's extremely dangerous, because by associating with these apparently uh, intelligent non-devotees and always talking in their terms, you start to think like that too. And it does require... You know, a high standard of intelligence to become a PhD, even if it's misdirected intelligence. And uh, you, being in the university, you, you can amass so much information. So you can give so much information about Gorya Vaishnava history and this and that, that even our own devotees think, well, well, they really know a lot. They know a lot more than I do. And they're saying that, well, maybe, you know, Krishna's just uh, not real. It must be true. Maybe it's true. Recently, one of our most senior leaders of our movement, who also has a PhD from Harvard University, which is extremely uh, uh, prestigious in mundane society, he has been advocating uh, homosexual monogamy within Vaishnava society. And uh, many devotees, because, I don't know why, because I guess they don't read Prabhupada's books regularly, they think, well, you know, he's, he's highly educated, he's very senior, maybe what he's saying is right. Totally uh, overlooking the, the fallacy of it being in any way right, because it's, it's a gross form of illicit sex, and it, uh, it's against the regulated principles. <laughs> For that matter, we could also, you know, we could have a, the beef-eating section of the Hare Krishna movement. You know, it's very compassionate, right? Because there are many people who like Krishna conscious, but they like eating meat also. So, well, we can just allow it. And it's okay. And you, and why are you against it? You're not compassionate. You're not, you see, you're not broad-minded. You're just stuck in your narrow way of thinking. You're not up with, you're not modern and with the time. And Prabhupada clearly said that the homosexual appetite of one man for another is demoniac. But of course, Prabhupada was... Uh, Influenced by 19th century Victorian outlook, rascals. And they present so many 
twisted arguments, saying that Jagannath Mishra invited gays to Lord Chaitanya's birth ceremony because gays are considered auspicious in Vedic culture, which is a total twisting of the facts. Jagannath Mishra, come on, you're not reading the books. <laughs> Modern universities, they are, they are the headquarters of the women's rights and gay rights, which are spoiling human society in so many ways, destroying the family, destroying religion. So I don't think it's any coincidence that the... Uh, the university education and the push for homosexuality comes from the same source, coming from the same, coming from the same person. I'm going to make it more. Hmm? Uh, the university edu uh -huh. education and the uh, push for gay rights. So maybe I'll be banned from coming to Poland now. I got myself banned from going to Croatia for saying the same things. What can I say? You know, I mean. Homosex is demoniac. It's, you're not allowed to say that anymore. Equal rights for women is also demoniac. We're not allowed to say that anymore either. In, uh, as Prabhupada points out in the Bhagavad Gita purport, praviting cha nivriting cha janana vidurasuraha. Those who are demoniac do, know what, do not know what is proper and what is improper. And although it's not mentioned in the purport, in the text, Prabhupada gives half the purport to discussing how Demoniac people are promoting independence for women, which is causing chaos in human society. But the so-called women's rights movement has promoted the idea that such concepts are actually they're oppressive to women. Women should have the right to mix with all different kinds of men apart from their husbands. Which, uh, you know, then the, uh, the natural result is the uh, illicit sex, which causes chaos in human society. Women should have the right to work. To go to, what's this? The, the right to go and see in some stinking factory for eight hours a day? What kind of right is that? And what about looking after your children? Oh, you don't have children, you just have abortions. It's so mad society. Prabhupada is very clear on his position. But we don't read Prabhupada's books, we read the New York Times instead. And uh, that's where we had, uh, end up with uh, gay rights in ISKCON. Okay, it was very nice visiting Poland and... Uh, <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Any questions? Yeah. Will you come next year? Will I come next year? Don't know. Can't say. I don't even know what I'm going to be doing in two minutes from now. <laughs> There's no guarantee. What is that? Uh, what is that? Ashvasa uh, naiva vishvasa. What is that? I can't remember. Kadarud hoba vishati. Even our next breath, we cannot have faith in it. Any time, <coughs> death, death can come. This is a very big topic which usually generates lots of discussion, the one on women's rights and this and that, because there's a, there's a uh, GBC, uh, what do you say, law, or, of, uh, which has institutionalized uh, the misconception that in devotional service everyone's just a devotee and therefore there's no need of uh, of any uh, discrimination between men and women of any kind. Totally ignoring uh, Prabhupada's uh, strong desire to institute Varnashram Dharma, the purpose of which is to regulate human society for so that everyone can make progress in spiritual life. And that progress is spoiled by by 
sexual attraction and particularly by illicit sex. So if we say that men and women should just mix together and have exactly the same roles in all respects, then definitely there's going to be illicit sex. And if women uh, don't take the role of mothers, which is the, their natural role, then the children are neglected. If the women are too busy, if the women are so busy pursuing their office career, or, or being a bus driver, or being an L, a fighter pilot, or a dance club dancer, or whatever, then the uh, the children are neglected, and that's what you get in modern society. Children are very frustrated. So women's role in society as mother is so important, but nowadays they say, oh, you're just a housewife, oh, you're useless. Because they want, everyone will work so they can develop the economy, and women will be free to enjoy, free to be enjoyed and exploited. The demons say that women should be free, because if they're free, they can freely enjoy them, with no responsibility. We enjoy sex together, and when the baby comes, it's in your arms, not mine. So this is actually uh, cheating women, but they think, I'm... I'm, now I'm liberated. This woman's liberation is the worst thing that ever happened for women. But they don't understand it. So, Hare Krishna, some other question? So, regarding the evolution, it was uh, empirically proven, it was observed that some uh, spices, they have evolved, uh, they changed when the uh, living conditions uh, changed. Proof? You have proof? Someone finds some bone, and then someone else finds another bone, and that's proof. Do you have this book, The Hidden History of the Human Race, in Polish? Yes. Show him. We have a book, which if you'll take the trouble to read it, will revolutionize your misunderstanding. How the so-called fossil record is, has been manipulated, deliberately misinterpreted, and so on. There is a unspoken conspiracy among scientists to uphold this atheistic theory. Are you serious to understand this subject? You should read this book. How old are you? They don't like to say. Once they get past 40, no one likes to say. How old? It's called evolution. So, uh, you've been cheated all your life. You are not a descendant of a monkey. Please read this book. It is presented very scientifically, not dogmatically, showing how uh, so-called scientists have deliberately fudged the fossil record to try to show that life has evolved from matter and that man has evolved from lower life forms. There's no proof. And he's saying that the, mm, uh, nature. nature is changing and uh, will be changing... Have you, ever, have you ever heard of a monkey giving birth to a mutant that looks more like a human being? Since uh, Charles Darwin came out with his theories, millions of monkeys have been born and died. I mean, I, I live in India, you don't see where there are monkeys jumping around all over the place all the time. And but, uh, and, uh, there are millions of monkeys in the world even today. But there, we don't have a record of even one that's given birth to a, a mutant which looks even slightly more like a human being. Mutants of any kind are very rare and they, they generally don't give birth, they, they die soon. So, like I say, where's the proof? What they call proof, people think, oh, the scientist said it's proof. But they're not thinking deeply, they're just accepting the cheating words of the scientists. 
It's uh, it's recently come to light. There was an article in Newsweek. I didn't read it. I just saw the cover on the plane. How it's it's come to light that it's a common uh, phenomenon that <coughs> research scientists deliberately cheat. They they say we've done this research and this is the result, although the result is not what they say it is. The main reasons for doing this are one number one is for the sake of their prestige. Because for instance, if they spend fifteen years investigating something and then they find out that it's there's nothing there, then it makes them look stupid. Although the very nature of scientific research is that you, you must go down many blind alleys. Another reason that they fudge the records is because this way they keep their, their so-called research project going on longer. It keeps them in a job. If they say that we found out it's all wrong, then their research project is finished. They don't have a job. So just like previously, people used to have great faith in the priests. Nowadays, they have great faith in the scientists. But in both cases, it seems to be uh, largely misplaced. So you please read these books. Uh, Life Comes From Life. Do you have that Origins magazine in Polish? Or the the hidden history of the the mis what is it called the hidden the mysterious origins or something like that the hidden history of the human race by uh, Druta Karma and someone Sadaputta. It's it's a and it's an abridged version of Forbidden Archaeology. You don't have that in Polish. No, it's an abridged version. Forbidden archaeology is a book this thick. You can tell in Polish, in, in English, it's it's a book this thick. It's like it's like it's like this high, this wide, and this thick, and it's just full of. It's quite boring actually. It's full of it's full of pages and pages and pages of of evidence, which which totally rebuts so-called evolutionary theory. There is an abridged version which is called the. The uh, the hidden history of the human race, something like that. It's called in, the mysterious ori- oh the mysterious origins of man was the TV program that was made on that subject, which was shown in America with Charlton Heston hosting it. Famous. Yeah, then there was a TV program which was shown again and again on on all over America called the mysterious origins of man. So the cheating of science is being exposed, but it will be difficult for people of your generation to accept it. It's difficult to change your beliefs in midlife, but it's only a belief. You're saying there's proof of evolutionary theory. How do you know? You're not a uh, biologist or anthropologist or archaeologist, are you? You just believe what the scientists tell you, that's all. And you presume it's true because that's what everyone else believes. Well, there was a time when they believed that if you sailed far enough west, you'd fall off the edge of the world. Everyone believed it. They considered, at that time, they considered themselves very uh, advanced in knowledge. Christopher Columbus almost, you know, he faced a mutiny. His sailors wouldn't go any further west. So we think we know, but it doesn't mean that we do know. We, we Actually, you have blind faith in the scientists. Blind faith. <laughs> Why don't you look a little deeper? You think the scientists are not capable of making mistakes, not capable of cheating? Because they find one bone... And then they find another bone. It doesn't mean that they're, it's proof of evolution. What they do is they find one bone, and then they say, then, then they estimate the time it comes from, and then they they uh, imaginatively construct a whole skeleton and torso from that. 
or they find one vase or vase, vase you said yesterday, and then they extrapolate, they imaginatively extrapolate a whole civilization from it. They say, well, this vase was made by this process, so they had knowledge of fire and they had knowledge of uh, pottery. <laughs> so in comparison with other civilizations, they must have also had knowledge of the wheel and basic arithmetic, uh, algebra and so many things. And just based on a couple of archaeological findings, they extrapolate the, 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 what they consider to be what the whole civilization was like. It's not scientific, sir. So. No, no, so he's saying that he's on the basis of his own observation, seeing how this pieces are changing. Um, no, how nature is changing. Well, change is there within nature, yeah. The leaves of the tree become brown, and then again they become green. But uh, the kind of changes they're talking about in evolution that take place over hundreds of thousands of years... You're not going to see him. Even if, if it were to be a fact, you wouldn't see it in one lifetime. There are so many uh, Negroes in America. Now, according to evolutionary theory, they are dark-skinned because they come from a hot country. But for several generations, many of them have been living in cities like Chicago and Detroit, which, uh, which are mostly are very cold and dark. But we didn't, over the last few generations, we didn't see the Negroes becoming any whiter because of that. I've been living in India for 28 years. Look at this. Most Polish people are darker skinned than me. <laughs> so, if there are changes, they're not going to take place so quick. But you would have thought that according to evolutionary theory that the, the, the Negroes in America would have come a become a little more light-skinned, wouldn't you? They do when they uh, mate with non-Negroes. Yeah, so please, we have, we'd have that yeah. hidden history of the human race. Please read it. Mm. So the uh, test tube babies and cloning theories are very much promoted. Mm. What do you want me to comment? <laughs> oh, they say they're making life in the laboratory. Well, test tube baby means they take an already inseminated ovum. So they're not creating life, they just transfer it from one place to another. And what is cloning supposed to prove or disprove in terms of Bhagavad philosophy? Again, they're not creating life. As they can't even define life in biological terms. What about, you know, which suggests that it's not, a, uh, it's not an intrinsically biological phenomenon. And so he's just explaining that these test tube babies, they are not created, they are taken from the living... Right, 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 yeah. Yeah. Good. So not only in the university, but even in the secondary or even in the primary school, one yeah. has to accept the professors and not. Sometimes uh, the professors are demanding that only uh, he uh, should be accepted, not even other professors. Mm -hmm. Many times the teachers are having sex with the children. Right? What a horrible situation! Prabhupada said this Christian conscious movement will go down in history for having saved human society in its darkest hour. So we have a very serious duty to take to understand this Krishna conscious philosophy and establish it in human society for the benefit of misguided mankind. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone's maybe hungry, but we have important things to discuss. So how to convince someone who is saying that uh, Jesus is the only God and there is no other God besides Most of you can't. Obviously, from someone who has put before. 
On jest skłonny, żeby w ogóle oczy wywracać, albo to zrobić na stosie z palcem od razu. Mostly you can convince such people. If they would uh, listen with an open mind, then it would be possible. Mostly you see, most people don't accept anything from a very intelligent platform. They just believe without going into it very deeply. It is good to have faith in Jesus. If you actually know what he taught, which most people who call themselves Christians actually don't know what Jesus taught. But most people either blindly believe in Jesus or they blindly believe the scientists. Which is why I'm saying just don't blindly take to Krishna consciousness. Prabhupada spoke philosophy so that people can understand with their intelligence. Krishna cannot be understood only by intelligence, but he cannot be understood only by sentiment either. And if we simply go on sentiment, then uh, we're likely to be misled because we're influenced by desires for sense gratification. Yes. So discrimination is required to discriminate between spirit and matter to discriminate between actions that are pleasing to the Supreme Lord and those that are not, to discriminate between sinful activities and pious activities. Therefore we have these books. Therefore we are distributing these books to give knowledge to human society. We ourselves should know what is in these books and be convinced of that. Otherwise, if we take to Krishna consciousness out of sentiment, then uh, when there's some difficulty, we'll go away. As we've seen so many times, Polish people... Uh, what we might call, in some ways, pious. Many of them are naturally attracted to Krishna consciousness. But if we don't understand the philosophy of Krishna consciousness, then the sentiment can change at any time. So please study these books very carefully. Anything else? Question. How should we act in if our guru or, for instance, Certain uh, respected person in this kind speaks some, speak something different or uh, contrary to Shapopas beliefs. And are there any uh, persons whom you would like to strongly recommend that we can listen to in Kanye? Co mamy robić, gdy nasz guru, czy jakiś inny autorytet w świadomości Krishna mówi coś innego niż mówił Szlapopa i Well, we should certainly uh, respect superiors, but if you suspect that they're saying something which is not in line with Prabhupada's teachings, you can question them. Sometimes uh, it's said that, well, you shouldn't question superiors, or even superiors may say, you shouldn't question me because I'm superior. But in matters of philosophical understanding, it's not a question of invoking superiority. It's a matter of explaining and understanding. Just like in Bhagavad Gita, Krishna Tadashurakura told Arjuna, listen Arjuna, shut up, I'm God, just do what I say. And, and there wouldn't have been any Bhagavad Gita. But Krishna knew that Arjuna could not fight wholeheartedly as long as he had doubts. And therefore he very patiently explained to Arjuna why he should fight. So it's true we should respect superiors, but then uh, they may say, well, you should just do what I say because I'm superior, but then they should do what their superior says. Then you can follow them. Who can you hear from? Hear from Prabhupada. Who comes here regularly? Trivik Ramaswamy comes here? He's, he's never compromised on Prabhupada's teaching. <laughs> well, are we going to have a who's who of ISKCON here? <laughs> <laughs>
I don't think he's ever, I've never heard of him compromising on Prabhupada's teachings either. On the other hand, he doesn't talk much about this kind of thing. Uh, you know, there are some people who are foolish enough to talk about these things and then they get, uh, they get the expected reaction. <laughs> Prabhupada, you know, Prabhupada didn't only speak about, well, he only spoke about Christian consciousness, but he also gave many important instructions on social organization because we have to live in this world and we should know how to live in it in a way that is conducive for developing Krishna consciousness. So I just, I mean, there are so many leaders in ISKCON. I just mentioned the name of Trivagam Swami because one thing is he's coming here. Another thing is uh, he speaks out uh, on these issues and very clearly and without any compromise as Prabhupada spoke. So that's why I mentioned his name. He neither avoids these issues nor reinterprets them. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Then we can finish that. It's over two hours. <laughs> oh. So, Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.